Let's pray again and ask God for his help. Father, do please help us now as we look at your word. Help us to understand it. Help us to understand what it means for us. And help us to put into practice what we learn. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's very easy to get into a fight with a Christian. Just talk about what should happen in church. It works every time. We're always fighting about it. I've been in three churches in my Christian life, and in every church it's been the same. Uh, Should we have a set order of service, or should we change things around as the Spirit moves us? Should we have old songs or new songs? They're still whinging about hymns, even today. How many songs should we have in church? Uh, Should we have an organ, or should we have a band? Should we allow drums, or drums of the devil? Should Should we wave our hands around? Should we have dancing? Have you ever seen me dance? You'll say no, but lots of churches think you should have dancing. Uh, what about drama? Should, should we allow drama in our church? Should children be heard as well as seen in church? What should women do or not do? Should there be a sermon? How long or better, how short should it be? Uh, should the sermons be topical or exegetical? What should we do in church? You put five Christians together and there are sure to be six opinions on it. And the issue is further confused when we start to think about spiritual gifts. Gifts are a big issue in the church today. You can do all kinds of courses to discern your spiritual gift. And people get into all sorts of fights about spiritual gifts. Whole denominations have been formed or split over spiritual gifts. Uh, We fight about what spiritual gifts we should have. We fight about how we should use them. We fight about why and when we should use them. But the thing is, these are not new problems. In chapters 12 to 14 of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, we see that they had the same problem back in New Testament times, back in first century Corinth. The big issue in Corinth was over what's called tongues. Now, it's not entirely clear from Scripture what tongues are. Uh, We know that they are a gift of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we will know from chapters 12 to 14 how and when they should be used. Uh, The only example we see of tongues in action in the Bible is in Acts chapter 2. It's on the day of Pentecost. The the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus' disciples and they tell the wonders of God in languages that it seems they've never learned. It's a kind of a reversal of the curse of Babel. Do you remember what happened at the Tower of Babel? At the Tower of Babel, people of the same language couldn't understand each other anymore. Well, there, on the day of Pentecost, people of different languages could suddenly understand the disciples. And so it seems that tongues is the miraculous ability to speak in another language. Although, if if that's what it meant in Corinth, we're not exactly sure, because we're going to see in chapter 14, it seems that, that some of their tongues were incomprehensible even to the speaker. So we can't be sure exactly what it meant for them, what they were doing. Whatever it was, whatever they were doing... Some of the Corinthians, they'd had this experience of speaking in tongues and they thought it was fantastic. They felt great as they, 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 they rabbited on in tongues and so when they came to church, they wanted to use their gift and have everybody watch them. Problem was, no one could understand what they were saying. And it made the church meetings a bit of a mess because everybody comes and they all want to do their own thing and they all want to talk each other, talk over the top of each other at the same time and in different languages and they're competing with each other for attention. And so there was this fight in the Corinthian church. Some people wanted to speak in tongues in church. Other people wanted to ban the speaking of tongues. 
the sort of scene you see a lot. People fighting about what should happen in church. Now, Paul, he directly addresses their problem in chapter 14. In chapter 14, he discusses the use of tongues, compares it with the, with the gift of prophecy, and he talks about, he talks about how to do things in church and, and when to do things and why, why you should do things in church. But as far as Paul's concerned, this fight about tongues, it's a symptom of a deeper problem. There's a deeper problem in Corinth. The, the way that they're fighting about this, the way that they're all pushing themselves forward, the way that they're all using their spiritual gifts to, to show off, it's not good. And it reveals some basic problems in their Christian understanding. It reveals some basic problems in their understanding of what it means to be spiritual, of what spiritual gifts are for, of what church is about, of, of, of how to live and how to love. And so, in chapters 12 to 13, Paul starts off by setting up four foundations. Four foundations. First, he talks about what it means to be spiritual, to have the Holy Spirit. Second, he talks about why you should do anything in church, what, what the point is of serving, of having a spiritual gift. And we're going to cover those two foundations today. Uh, then there are two more foundations. Third, Paul talks about the nature of the church. And finally, Paul tells the Corinthians the most excellent way to live, the way of love. And you'll see those with Marty next week. Four foundations. And all four of these foundations are to help the Christians understand why Paul comes to the conclusions he does in chapter 14, his conclusions about what should happen with tongues in church. See where we're going? Okay, let's dive in. Let's have a look at the passage. The first foundation. First foundation Paul lays is this. He tells the Corinthians what it means to be spiritual, what it means to have the Holy Spirit of God at work in you. Now, unfortunately, the NIV is a little bit unhelpful here. In verse 1, it translate the, translate the words, it translates the word Paul uses as spiritual gifts. Can you see that in verse 1? And that is what Paul's going to talk about. He is going to talk about spiritual gifts. That's why they translate it that way. But in verse 1... The word gifts is not actually mentioned. Uh, Paul literally says, now about spirituals. Uh, that could mean spiritual stuff, like spiritual gifts. That's why the NIV translates it that way. Uh, if you've got an NIV 2011, you'll see a little footnote that says it could also mean spiritual people. Because it doesn't actually say what spiritual thing it is. It just says spirituals. The point is this. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts later on. But at this point, he's being much more general. He wants the Corinthians to know what it means to be spiritual in the first place. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. Have a look with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. Now, about, literally, spirituals. That is spiritual stuff or spiritual people, brothers. I do not want you to be ignorant. Paul wants the Corinthians to know what it means to be spiritual because the fact is they've been led astray by their background. These Corinthians have a background in idolatry. Now, idolatry, of course, is all about improving your own life. Uh, idolatry is, is all, about, it's all about getting what you want from your idol, maybe for your ancestors or maybe for you. you. You ask your idol to improve your comfort. You ask your idol to improve your status or the status of your deceased loved one in the afterlife or something like that. It's all about, it's all about uh, putting yourself forward. And, and, and in idolatry, spirituality... 
Spirituality is all about ecstatic experience. So in their pagan worship, they used, to, they used to work themselves up into a frenzy to try to manipulate their false gods. Uh, they would drink alcohol, particularly in the, the, the cult of Bacchus. They, they would cut themselves. Do you remember the, um, the prophets of Baal cutting themselves when, when they're fighting against Eli, uh, Elijah on, the, on Mount Carmel? They, they cut themselves. Uh, they have sex with temple prostitutes. We've talked about that before. They would dance around in a sweaty trance. Idolatry has given these Corinthians a wrong view of what it means to be spiritual. Verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. They've been led astray. And so Paul wants them to know what it means to be truly spiritual. He wants to tell them how you can know if you've got God's Holy Spirit or not. And the test is very, very simple. Is Jesus your Lord? Verse 3. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, Paul doesn't mean you just say the words, say the word Jesus be cursed, and, or say the word Jesus is Lord. It's not just about your words. Jesus is Lord is a shorthand way of talking. To, to say Jesus is Lord means to be a Christian. It means that you trust Jesus' death and resurrection to pay for your sins and give you eternal life. It means you accept Jesus as your boss, your Lord, and you actually obey him. You don't just say it, you do it. To say Jesus be cursed is the opposite. It means you reject Jesus. You're not a Christian. Do you get what Paul's saying here? The way to be spiritual is to trust and obey Jesus. You know God's Holy Spirit is truly at work in you if you are relying on Jesus as your Lord. That's what the Holy Spirit is on about. He's enabling us to trust and obey Jesus. The key to spirituality is the gospel. When you think about it, it just sounds obvious, doesn't it? Of course, spirituality is about trusting and obeying Jesus. Of course, the work of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus but you know what is a funny thing? When it comes to church, we seem to forget. Even today. We get to church and suddenly we forget the gospel and try to make up our own ways of being spiritual. Suddenly we seem to, to think that God wants us to have some kind of experience. Lots of people make this mistake. They equate spirituality with a certain kind of feeling or experience. Some people think that it's the, the, the reverent feeling that you get when you walk into a stone building with a pipe organ playing and children not making any noise. People think of that as, as spiritual. But the big area where you'll see this problem today is in the modern Pentecostal and charismatic movements. Now, these movements have put a lot of doubt into the minds of more traditional church people. Now, they say that the traditional church is dry and dull, and lifeless, and empty. They say that we are not spiritual. Uh, many Pentecostal people have come to our church, and some of them have seen fit to try to enlighten me about this. Uh, I remember one zealous girl who came here. She sat through church at supper. I greeted her, and she said, I need to talk to you about your church. I said, um, okay. She said, 
I don't feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in your service. She said, you're putting the Bible into people's brains, but they don't have God's Holy Spirit in their hearts. Now, I should say before I go on that it's quite possible for people in traditional churches to be unspiritual, including people in our own church. In my experience, there are people in churches who have never put their trust in Jesus. They might know stuff about Jesus, they might have sat in pews all of their lives, but they're not relying on him as their Lord. They're not relying on him as their saviour. And so they are not spiritual. They do not have God's Holy Spirit. Friend, I hope that's not you. I hope that Jesus is genuinely your Lord and saviour. But that's not quite what Pentecostal people mean. Generally, when a Pentecostal person says that a church is not spiritual, what they mean is that the meetings are not not conducted in a way that produces a certain kind of experience. The charismatic and Pentecostal movements, they generally equate spirituality with a certain feeling. And so they, in church, they, for example, sing repetitively for long periods. They dance and sway and wave their hands until they start to feel certain things emotional waves of joy or love or whatever and when they get that feeling they think that the holy spirit is present they think they've entered the realm of spirituality i remember once going to a pentecostal meeting they sang a short song i'm not exaggerating because i counted getting angrier and angrier and angrier uh, 26 times in a row i still remember it years later Our God is a consuming fire. He reigns upon the earth over and over and over again. People were falling over. People were rolling their eyes into the backs of their heads. I was rolling my eyes too, but not in the back of my head. And, And the leader was saying, the Holy Spirit is here with us, brothers and sisters. Can you feel the presence of the Lord? Can you see the problem with this view of spirituality? There's nothing wrong with singing. Nothing wrong with waving your hands. Quite biblical to lift up your hands. Nothing wrong with falling over, although I suggest you be careful, particularly if you're getting older, you might not get back up again. (laughs) There's not even anything wrong with rolling your eyes into the back of your head if that's what you're into. But if you think that that is the presence of the Holy Spirit, you are very confused. Do you know what you've done? You've confused Christianity with paganism. The Bible makes it perfectly clear here. True spirituality is not about ecstatic experience. True spirituality is about trusting and obeying Jesus as your Lord. You know you have the Holy Spirit if you can sincerely say, Jesus is my Lord, and if your life will back it up. Whether or not you've had some experience is irrelevant. Do you you want to know what that feeling is that you get after you've been singing for half an hour? The same thing over and over again. It's not the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the feeling that you get after you've been singing for half an hour. You want to know what that feeling is when you walk into an old stone building with a pipe organ playing and children being quiet? It's not the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the feeling you get when you walk into an old stone building with a pipe organ playing. We must get this straight. This is foundational to our whole understanding of what we should be on about in church. How can we tell if we are spiritual people? How can we tell if our church is a spiritual church? It's got nothing to do with how long we sing for. 
It's got nothing to do with whether we dance or wave our hands. It's got nothing to do with manufacturing certain feelings or experiences. It's got nothing to do with what kind of building we meet in or what kind of instruments we use. There's only one test. Do the people trust and obey Jesus as their Lord? As you walk away from a church service, the way to tell if it was a valuable spiritual experience is not to ask, how did I feel? You might have felt like rubbish. The thing to ask is this. Did that help me to be more committed to Jesus? We discern the work of the Holy Spirit by the gospel. That's the first foundation. Second foundation is this. Second foundation that Paul gives, he talks, about, he talks about why we should do what we do in church. Why we should use our spiritual gifts. God tells us here what, the goal, what our goal should be when we serve in church, what our goal should be when we work for church. The first thing Paul says is this. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts. There are different ways that we can serve our church. There are different works that we can do as part of our church. Each one of us has different things that we contribute. But the thing is this. It is God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit who's given us our gifts. He's the one who's at work in us when we serve. And he's got a specific purpose. God gives us our gifts for the common good. For the common good. Verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, Jesus. There are different kinds of working, but the same God, the Father, works all of them in all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common Good. Do you see the point? God doesn't give us our spiritual gifts so we can just enjoy them ourselves, so we can grow ourselves as Christians. God doesn't give us spiritual gifts so that we can show off. Doesn't give, he doesn't give us spiritual gifts so that we can make money or gather followers or, or gain status or respect or, or be part of the crowd or something like that. Those are not the reasons we should be serving. Those are not the reasons we should be working in church. God gives us our, God gives us our spiritual gifts for the common good. What does that mean? What is the common good? Well, we've already had a clue, and Paul's going to clarify this later on, but in context, it means that we help other people to trust and obey Jesus as their Lord. I mean, that's what true spirituality is, isn't it? To call on Jesus as your Lord. The common good, then, is that we help each other to call on Jesus as our Lord. Paul goes on to name a whole heap of spiritual gifts that God has given to the church in Corinth. He doesn't say that any other church has to have these gifts, but he says these are the ones that are there in Corinth. Uh, some of them have wisdom. They're able to wisely apply the good news about Jesus to people's lives. Some of them have good knowledge of the gospel and of people. Some of the people there had great faith. They were able to encourage the church. Some people were able to, to heal people or do miracles. Some people were able to, to speak God's word in prophecy. Some people were wise in discerning whether someone really was speaking God's word. And some people could speak in tongues. Paul says, it's all good stuff. Good on you. But the fact is this. 
God is the one who gives you these gifts, the same God, and this same God gives you the gifts as he determines. And how does he determine? We already know he wants them to be used for the common good. Verse 8. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he's given them to each one just as he determines. You see Paul's points? Paul's point here? Why does God give us spiritual gifts? Why should we serve? Why should we work in church? For the common good. That's how God determines that he gives gifts, to help other people trust and obey Jesus. Again, when you say it, it seems so obvious, doesn't it? We should be serving to help each other grow as Christians. It's the gospel that determines the reason for, for our service and work and the gifts of the Spirit. It seems so obvious, but again, it's interesting how often we forget. So let me hassle you for a while. What do you think? What do you think when someone asks you to do something at church? When someone asks you to serve, to work for the church... Some of us feel very resentful about it. We're quick to say no. Or if we say yes, we do it very begrudgingly. Why is that? Or maybe we're being godly. We have a heavy load fulfilling our responsibilities at work and at home. Maybe we're in that stage with young children and elderly parents or something like that. We're already serving God in other ways, maybe in other places or parachurch organisations. And we know we've got to maintain a godly balance. And so we're just going to say no. But you know what? I suspect for many of us, it's actually just selfishness. We don't care about the common good. We have no desire to expend ourselves to help other people grow in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's pretty much the last priority in our lives. We never ever spend any time helping anybody trust in Jesus as their Lord. We just want a comfortable life. We expect church to serve us and we resent the intrusion of being asked to serve. Is that you? Are you too selfish? To serve the common good. Or maybe you're more like this. Someone asks you to do something for church and you feel really shy about it. You feel very anxious about it. You don't want anyone to see you thing. We're being godly. Maybe we're doing what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. We want to do our acts of righteousness to please God and not men. And so we don't want to make any fuss. We don't want to make any show of it. But you know what? I suspect for many of us, it's just as likely that we're shy because we're way too worried what other people think. We don't want to read the Bible in front of people because we might stumble and people would think we're not literate or something. We don't want to pray in front of people because other people might think we're not eloquent or spiritual enough. We're not serving for the common good. No, no, it's, it's all about us. 
Anything we do, our main concern is how it reflects on us. Does it make me look good? Will people respect me? Will people like me? Will people think I am competent? Will people accept me? Is that you? Are you so concerned what other people think that you never get in and serve the common good? Or maybe you're more like this. Someone asks you to do something for church and you think, fantastic. I can't understand why you've never asked me before. I love the idea of helping out. And the more people who see me, the better. Why is that? Well, maybe we're being godly. We love Jesus. We want other people to to grow in their love and service to Jesus. We want our lives to be expended for the common good. We want to serve for the common good. We want to work for you to grow in Christ. We want to use the gifts that God has given us for the common good. Or maybe we just like to show off. Maybe we, we, we like the feeling of being relied on. Maybe we we long to be accepted and part of the group. Maybe we enjoy the status of being seen as a godly Christian or we enjoy the power of being able to do things our way. Is that you? Do you serve for your good rather than for the common good? We're pretty messed up, aren't we? (laughs) Whatever we do, whatever we don't do, we seem to somehow manage to find some way to be sinful and selfish about it. But friends, God is at work in us by his Holy Spirit. God has placed us into the body of Christ and he's given us spiritual gifts. He's given us what we need. He's giving us what we need to serve, to work for his people For the common good, of course our motives are always mixed. Of course we find ways to be selfish in pretty much everything we do or don't do. We do need to repent. We do need to work hard on our motives. But we must not let our sinful motives be an excuse to stop us. We need to use the gifts that God has given us to help other people trust Jesus. So friend, what are you doing? How are you serving the common good here at Chatswood Presbyterian Church. What work are you doing for the common good of your church family? How are you using your gifts, the gifts that God has given you, to help your brothers and sisters in Christ to grow in Him? I want to say as I look at those photographs how excellent it is that so many people are getting in and serving You know, what you read chapter 12 here, and it all seems so basic. True spirituality is relying on Jesus as your Lord. Spiritual gifts are for the common good. It seems obvious. But the reality is it's just as foundational, just as necessary for us to get this as it was for the Corinthians. We've got to keep this stuff clear in our heads because it is so easy to get it wrong, isn't it? Okay, friends, well, next week, Marty's going to take you through the next two foundations, the nature of the church and the most excellent way to live. For now, let's pray. Almighty God, our gracious and holy Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for calling us to be part of your church. We thank and praise you for gifting us with your Holy Spirit so that we can call on Jesus as our Lord. We thank and praise you, Heavenly Father, for equipping us to serve as part of the church. 
Do please help us to serve with right motives for the common good that other people may be built up and grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.